Hey guys, it's me, Ryan. Hey! Bah, 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 bah. Welcome to another episode of I Wanna Watch the Very Best Because Gotta Watch Them All Was Taken! <laughs> so, um, I've got some cookies for you. They're actually just for me. They are all for me, and they smell really nice, and I want to go eat them right now. I gotta go eat some cookies. Uh, other than that, I I don't have much fun stuff to say again. Um, the week just kind of flew by. It's already Friday, and I didn't even realize it. Where did the days go? I have zero heckin' idea. It's it's a little concerning. I, I don't know what happened. I think I mentioned last episode that I'm taking sword fighting classes now, and if I didn't, I'm taking sword fighting classes now. It's pretty neat. I'm learning learning all the swings and the poses and the ways to defend myself, and then I will lose it all when I'm actually in like any match where someone is moving fast. I 100% will not be good at this, but it's fun. It's cool. And speaking of sword fights, um, did you know that some Pokemon are swords? And that's a great segue for us to begin the episode. Da -da -da -da! Episode 122, Flower Power. Synopsis. Excited to witness an annual Pokemon exhibition, our heroes end up getting roped into helping one of the entrants try to get her Bellossom to do a dangerous yet stunning finale dance move. Emerging from the woods, the Poke Crew is excited to finally see a city, Florando. Maybe we can relax and do some sightseeing while we're here. Misty, I can't relax in a city full of girls who need to be protected. Protected from you. As the group wanders around, they become a bit overwhelmed by all of their options. As they try to figure out what to do here, a girl runs up and hands them a flyer for a Pokemon exhibition, an outdoor annual festival that features various performances and tricks by Pokemon. Hey, you think I could do a show with all of my Pokemon? Sure. A live stage show? No, I mean a television show. <laughs> now who'd watch anything like that? Deciding to go see the show, our heroes arrive and witness small street performances, such as a Flareon jumping through a flaming hoop, which is a lot less intense than it sounds given its typing, an Oddish bouncing on an electrode, a circle of dancing mankeys, a giant Alakazam spoon bending, and a large water Pokemon living fountain. Hearing some excited gasps, the trio head over to another performance, a Bellossom duo doing some acrobatic dance moves. However, when their trainer announces their grand finale, one Bellossom jumps off the other, intending to do some flips in the air, but it chokes while up there and ends up flying right into Ash. Its trainer runs over to apologize, and after seeing that they're both alright, thanks Ash for the catch. Brock then invades her personal space, with Misty dragging him off. The Bellossom trainer, Bailey, invites the protagonist for some lunch, introducing her Bellossom as well, Belle and Bella. Ash asks if she's going to attempt the final trick again at the formal exhibition tomorrow, but Bailey sadly says that the Beloop de Loop hasn't been working out for some reason ever since they arrived in the city. However, she's optimistic that they'll get it down pat soon. Elsewhere in the crowd, the Rocket Trio explores the show as well, just very openly wearing their criminally wanted outfits. Unsure what's going on, they realize that it's a talent show! Jessie excitedly wanting to show off her flamenco dancer blood, and James eager to demonstrate his ballet. 
But deciding that their get-rich-quick scheme needs one more part, they set up a little stage to just demonstrate Meowth's talking abilities. Unfortunately for them, Meowth gets stage fright from the crowd and just starts making normal Meowth noises. <laughs> Taking him backstage, the two angrily demand that he just say some words, any words, Meowth refusing to sully his fans' ears with an unscripted performance. Acting fast, Jesse quickly scribbles down some jokes. James unsure due to comedy's trickiness, but Meowth confident in his delivery. He then comes out and starts making a bunch of really lame puns. The audience for some reason more concerned with the bad jokes than the talking cat. And I'm just going to play this whole part. It's a bit longer than I normally do for clips, but it's worth it. Sorry for the interruption. Now to delight and amuse you, we present the amazing Meowth. Hi, folks. I got some great jokes for you. Get a load of that. Hey, it really That's talks. amazing. Uh, what's a Pokemon with allergies say? Pikachu! Huh? When should a Pokemon trainer make an appointment to see the doctor? When is Bulbasaur? What? <laughs> that was one of my best ones. We ought to clean up with material like I'm that. Leaving. Come on. Hey, you! The show's not free! If it's not, it should be. Yeah, those jokes are the worst. Meowth's just getting warmed up. The funny stuff is on the way. They'll love this one. Hey, did you hear about the low-fat Pokemon? Caterpie! Butterfree, not Caterpie! Butterfree, Caterpie! What's the difference in if you Where is everybody? Well, at least you two managed to stop the show. Well, don't blame me! If your delivery had been better, we would have been a hit. You want to see a hit? I'll show you a hit, believe you me! We needed you to warm up the crowd, not to cool them off. Now they'll never get to see Jesse and me dance. And you think that's a bad thing? We would have put on a sensational show, James. The best! My flamenco would have been the rage! And I would have done a leap right off the stage! They would have gone mad for my glad pirouettes! And I drive them wild with my great castanets! James, maybe there's still a chance for our dancing dreams to come true. I agree, so what do we do? Luckily, I have a brilliant idea. That worries me. Once again, sorry for the length, but if I had to hear it, so do you. It was funny, though. I liked it. Impressive bit of script localization to match the lip flaps, too. The team's new plan is to, still in their dancing outfits, drive an armored bulldozer right through the crowd, yelling at people to move out of the way, their shouts attracting the attention of Ash and friends. I'm not sure what their end goal with this was. The full extent of their plan is never really revealed. They're just driving a bulldozer through the crowd. Ash rushes out in front of the bulldozer, and despite being given a prime murder opportunity, the evil trio break and give their motto. Ash and his friends are prepared to battle, but Bailey stops him, saying that this space belongs to the performing Pokemon, meaning they're the ones that should handle the rockets. And, to the evil trio's credit, they are unintimidated by the large crowd of Pokemon surrounding them, 100% ready to throw down. Analakazam uses Psychic to lift up and drop the vehicle, destroying it and leaving the rockets open. Jesse and James send out Arbok and Victory Bell, Belossum skillfully dodging the snake's poison sting. James then has Victory Bell use Swords Dance, which is actually a physical attack where it swipes its leaves at Belossum for some reason. 
After dodging some more attacks, Bailey has the Blossom jump out of the way and counter with Sleep Powder, knocking the two opposing Pokemon out while none of the other trainers standing around do anything to help. Jesse and James cry out for their poor baby. Yes, they actually both call their Pokemon poor baby. It's kind of adorable. And pick up their partners to run away, vowing to return. The crowd applauds Blossom's skill, Ash and his friends amazed at their skill as well. Further in the city, and later in the day, Team Rocket eats some meatballs in an alleyway, Jesse stealing the last one while James and Meowth fight over it. The group then despairs at their poor financial status, especially after renting that bulldozer. But upon seeing a littered flyer for the Pokemon Talent Exhibition, the three begin plotting their next scheme. <laughs> Come nighttime, our heroes chill with Bailey, who parked her RV under an underpass, and watch the Blossom practice, Pikachu and Togepi attempting to dance with them as well. Ash inquires if Bailey always taught her Pokemon to dance instead of battle, the girl explaining that it actually was the opposite. She had them dabble in dancing as a way of training to battle, but seeing her plants so happy while dancing, she decided that pursuing the art of motion full-time was a better long-term decision. Deciding that backstory is worth backstory, she asks to hear about the Pokecrew as well. We then get one of our periodic recaps of their goals. Misty wants to learn about water Pokemon, Brock wants to become a skilled breeder, and Ash wants to obtain the vague title of Pokemon Master. The boy then immediately changes topics, asking how the Blossom were able to easily beat Team Rocket just by dancing. Despite him having challenged an orange crew member that utilized dancing as a strategy as well and almost lost to him. Bailey then explains that it's because battling and dancing are pretty interlinked. Dance moves and synchronization can help Pokemon easily dodge by using fancy footwork and rhythm, and she invites the kids to watch that in action at training tomorrow. The next morning, Bailey helps her Blossom practice staying in beat, with Pikachu attempting and slightly struggling to do so as well. The Grass-type trainer reminds Pikachu to keep those steps in mind next time it battles to help avoid opposing attacks. She then has her Pokemon prepare to attempt the Baloop-de-loop again. But once again, something goes wrong, and the dancing Pokemon falls, Ash catching it just in time. Bailey calmly reassures her Pokemon that they did their best, and they'll just have to postpone the final act until they can do it safely. A short time later, the exhibition begins, Ash, Misty, and Brock somehow getting front row seats. Lucky ducks. But, unknown to everyone, Team Rocket has captured and tied up the event host, disguising themselves as phony hosts as part of their plot, with no one registering that's the same short blue-haired and long pink-haired people that tried to dance on the bulldozer yesterday. Jesse and James introduce the contestants, but quickly reveal their plans when Meowth casts a net over the performing Pokemon, which somehow curls under them as the trainers do nothing but watch their Pokemon be lifted away by the balloon. Ash, having rushed on stage with his friends since no one else is capable of taking action, sends out Heracross. Despite the Bug-type being fully capable of flying, he instead has it use its horn to launch Pikachu into the air. The rodent flies up past Jesse, James, the captured Pokemon, and even Meowth, eventually latching onto the balloon itself, using Thunderbolt to burst it, and sending the rockets and their captives careening into a nearby park. Once again, the only ones to take initiative are the protagonist and the trainer of the day, no one else rushing to their stolen Pokemon's aid. 
Ash demands they give the Pokemon back, but the Rockets respond by sending out Arbok in Victory Bill. Pikachu charges forth, using the dance moves it learned to avoid the oncoming attacks. Also, Victory Bell is told to use Takedown, but it just uses the same leaf-slashing move that Swords Dance was. Unfortunately, Victory Bell gets a lucky rap attack, grabbing Pikachu's leg, allowing Arbok to charge in with a bite. But thankfully, Bailey frees her Blossom, and the two of them attempt to perform the Beloop de Loop to and the two of them attempt to perform the Beloop de Loop to protect Pikachu. When it counts the most, Belossa manages to do its mid-air multi-flip, landing square into Arbok and kicking it away. Jesse angrily recalls Arbok, and Ash uses this moment to have Pikachu Thunderbolt Victory Bell, freeing itself. The Belossum duo then perform a tag team twister attack, causing Team Rocket to blast off in an airborne twirl. Ash celebrates his victory before remembering that he kind of knocked down a balloon full of other Pokemon, sheepishly asking if they're okay. <laughs> Thankfully, Misty assures him that all the stolen Mon are a-okay, and were successfully returned to their trainers. Bailey tells Ash that he'd be a pretty good dancer if he went for it, then asking her Pokemon if they're comfortable putting on one more perfect performance for the exhibition, the two nodding. At the exhibition, their finale goes off without a hitch, the crowd cheering in rapturous applause, the narrator explaining that Ash will never forget how dancing can help lead to success, or something like that, as the screen fades away. Before we return with another rocket torture shot, the trio still dizzily spinning through the city while making twirling-based puns. Interestingly, this is one of the few episodes that doesn't end with a sunset-based wave goodbye. It's such a common final scene in the anime that seeing this one end with a midday stage cheer was oddly notable. Also, it might not have been as noticeable in the previous episode since the plot was kind of contained to one trainer and a pretty isolated environment, but this episode makes it clear how hard they're trying to hide the Gen 2 Pokemon so they can show them off one by one. That's not a bad thing, I'm glad they're all getting their own chance to shine, but it's very obvious when you notice that every single performing Pokemon outside of the Blossom was a Gen 1 Pokemon. In the Indigo League, even Pokemon that weren't the focus were shown off in the background every so often before their big debut. But Johto Journeys is making sure that you don't see a single Gen 2 Pokemon until they get some focus first, at least so far. Once again... Not a bad thing, just very noticeable due to the setting of this episode's plot. Overall, a fun episode with a lot in it, some great Team Rocket writing, and I think the dancing actually does come up once or twice, although I could be misremembering that. So, this one's definitely worth a watch, for sure. And for sure, for sure, we're going on to this one for sure. Let's go to episode 123, Spinnerack Attack. Synopsis. Arriving in a city that's had a string of recent thefts by a copycat burglar, our heroes are asked to help protect their next target. Passing through Catalia City, the protagonists see a cop car speed by. Rock insists they chase after it, hoping that an officer Jenny is in it, but trips on a nearly invisible thread. Just as his friends are gently laughing at his fall, Togepi chitters, pointing out something descending from above them. Misty initially thinks whatever it is is kind of cute, but then it unfurls into a spinnerack and she screams, echoing across the city. 
After the title card, the focus shifts over to Team Rocket, who are wearing doofy black outfits with feather caps. Arriving at a large, locked shed, Jesse confidently tells me how to pick the lock, the cat giggling as he uses his claw to do so. Before it breaks, Jesse having to muffle his pain scream. She scolds me out, saying that the black arachnids open thousands of locked doors, and he can't even open one. She then goes on to exposition dump that they're trying to follow in the footsteps of the infamous greatest cat burglar of all time. But they can't do that when Meowth constantly freaks up. James then manages to successfully pick the lock himself, celebrating his not-really-newfound burglar status, you know, since they've robbed museums, centers, and vacuum shops before this. Entering the shed, they find it full of rare pottery works, James excitedly saying it's worth an absolute mint, Jesse adding that he could really use a mint, actually. Suddenly, someone enters the doorway, demanding to know what the three are doing here. Jesse proudly introduces themselves as the Black Arachnids, too, before James confirms he's got the goods and they move to escape. Meowth calls to use Payday, with James then throwing bottle caps at their discoverer. In a rather skillful transition, it moves from the throw to the bottle caps on the ground, circled with evidence chalk. Officer Jenny examines the crime scene, deducing it was a payday attack. Two officers rush up to Jenny, confirming that this is the third house this week, and someone is definitely imitating the black arachnid. Jenny then decides that the only solution is to catch the crooks. I mean, yeah, generally, that's how it works. She orders the spinnerack webs be reinforced, and that the copycat burglar be their top priority. You know, not the other crime in the city, like murder, probably. It's uh, the burglar only. A third officer then approaches, saying he thinks he caught the bandits. However, it's revealed that it's just Ash, Misty, Brock, and all their Pokemon caught in a giant web ball. The cops saying that they were found in a spinnerack web nearby. Which is a terrible way of choosing suspicion, since literally any old person could get caught in one of them for literally no reason and be accused. Like, what's happening right now? And if the locals know to avoid the webs, then the criminal would theoretically be able to avoid them as well pretty easily, especially if it's a local? Like, it's not, but the cops don't know that yet. Thankfully for the kids, Jenny quickly determines that they're innocent and releases them, apologizing and explaining that they set the webs to catch some black arachnid copycats. Ash wonders who that even is. Brock quickly jumping in and saying that they were an infamous thief who worked in the city 100 years ago. Misty leans down to inspect the bottle caps, wondering what it could mean. Jenny then notices the Pikachu and Togepi with the group, wondering if they are the crime fighters she heard about from her relative in New Barktown. Despite them not really helping to solve the crime and instead just inserting themselves into the situation and following Officer Jenny to Team Rocket, where they did admittedly beat them up, but they didn't have to. Like, they kind of didn't do too much outside of that. While Ash recalls his role in the situation somewhat humbly, Brock quickly confirms Jenny's inquiry, assuring her that they're basically the Batman of the Pokemon world. While Misty groans at his antics, a spinnerack descends from above, freaking her out again. Jenny then calmly introduces it as one of the spinnerack her team uses, and points out that it's actually the cutest one of the bunch. 
She then explains that it's tradition in the city to use Spinarak instead of Growlithe or Arcanine, and that it actually dates back to the original Black Arachnid thefts. The Cat Burglar was known for his incredible stealth, speed, and utilizing a Meowth as his partner. Why he's called the Black Arachnid, despite not using a spider, or even having a spider theme to his outfit, only he can say. Another noteworthy fact about the thief is that whenever it looked like they were about to be caught, his Meowth would use Payday to distract the security so the two could escape. Unfortunately for the crook, one day Jenny's ancestor managed to capture them with the help of her Spinarak. Waiting patiently until the burglar made their escape, she then had her Spinarak detain the two with its web, ending their reign of thievery. In fact, she adds, the Spinarak she has with her now is actually a descendant of her ancestor's partner. Taking the group to the police station, Misty is horrified to see him filled with the spider Pokemon. Jenny saying that the actions of the older Jenny inspired the rest of the force to take up using them as well. Ash, seeing their dedication, volunteers to help catch the copycat thief. Misty and Brock volunteering to differing levels of enthusiasm as well. You really are Pokemon crime fighters then, aren't you? Well, that's what I'd like to think. You've never liked to think before. Up on a clock tower, Jessie declares that her plan is coming along nicely. But they have to make a bold move of some kind to really, really go down in criminal history. James is somewhat against the idea, though, because he's depressed that his bottle cap collection is fading away again. Jessie angrily tells him to either suck it up or somehow get me out to learn Payday for real, since they need to fully replicate the original arachnid modus operandi. James then notices Meowth eating from the priceless bowl they just stole, yelling at him to stop. Jessie then yells for him to learn Payday already, Meowth becoming fed up and attacking her, declaring that he'll capture Pikachu himself. Jesse then goes like, who the heck said anything about Pikachu? Forget the rat, we're doing something way cooler here, causing Meowth to relent. Jesse then brainstorms a new idea, announcing their crime in advance to taunt the victim, just like the original Black Arachnid, all three giddy at the idea. At the police station, Brock tries to call everyone to attention. The Crime Fighters Committee will now come to order. How did you like that, Officer Jenny? If we've come to order, then I'll go first. I'll have a burger and a large fries. Ash! A true professional doesn't act silly or distracted while discussing such a serious case. You'll have to excuse him. He's just a kid. That's all right. Uh, speak for yourself, Brock. Come on. Before the meeting can get fully underway, an officer enters, announcing that they just received news of another robbery about to happen. The group is then taken to an almost completely window-covered mansion of a random wealthy man, who tells the trio and cop that the letter announced that the thief would go after his random prized trophy at midnight. <laughs> Rich Money Man is suspicious of the kids, but Jenny assures him that they're professionals. He very quickly accepts this. Despite Jenny demanding the entire force focus on the cat burglar in an earlier scene, their idea of a stakeout is to just have her and three kids and the rich man pacing around the trophy waiting for something to happen. Thankfully, Ash decides to utilize their Pokemon for some extra security, something that Jenny didn't really think through. 
Squirtle goes into the pool, Bulbasaur hides in the garden, and Heracross bunkers down to snack on a tree. Ash has no idea where to put Charizard, so he tells it to just go wherever it wants. The lizard posing proudly next to a Blastoise fountain, assuring Ash that, yeah, it can maintain the stance, don't worry. Spinarak, meanwhile, starts coating the surroundings in web tripwires, waiting in a tree. As night falls, little baby Ash begins to get sweepy, Misty yelling at him to stay alert since it's almost midnight. I think this thief must not be a very polite person. He's keeping us up way past our bedtime, right, Brock? I don't have a bedtime. <clears throat> Soon enough, the clock chimes out that it's 12 a.m., still with no thief in sight. The wealthy man rushes in a few seconds later, happy to see his trophy untouched and having some butlers wheel in food as thanks for guarding it. After their meal, the lights go out, spotlights shining on the ceiling as Team Rocket descends from a panel on ropes. And with no one moving to stop them, they just walk over, pick up the trophy, and start their mottoing. Check your eyes and prepare for trouble. We've got the prize, so make it double. Team, Team Rocket! Rocket! To protect the world from its own greed. To steal all the treasure that they don't need. To work every heist like there are none other. And split the spoils with one another. Jesse. Jesse. Thieves return under cover of night. Surrender now or prepare to fight. Me out? That's right. Huh? After being briefly upset that none of the food was shared with them, the evil trio then explain that they got in by never actually leaving. They've been hiding in the attic since they dropped off the ladder! <laughs> Ash then wonders why they didn't actually show up at midnight. The rocket sheepishly admitting that they fell asleep. <laughs> Oops. James begs his team to not make him throw away more of his collection, but the threat from Jesse causes him to throw them at our heroes, who are stunned way longer than they should be from weakly thrown bottle caps. Like, that man barely has an arm to him. They barely flew at the group. Using the distraction, Team Rocket makes their escape back into the ceiling, breaking through the roof with their balloon and flying away. But before they can get very far, and just as their gloating was getting good, the hot air balloon mysteriously stops, James realizing they're caught in Spinarak's web. However, he reminds the group that they have giant fans for some reason, which they then use to try and maneuver out of the webbing. Using their delay as an opening, Ash has Squirtle watergun the trio, not doing much outside of getting them wet, just to annoy him really. Bulbasaur's razor leaf then punctures the balloon, and Charizard is told to burn away the web, letting the balloon fly free and spin around out of control. Which the group realizes was kind of a bad move since they still have the trophy. Thankfully, Spinarak manages to land a solid web shot on the hot air basket, holding it until it deflates and crashes towards the ground. Ash then has Charizard tackle the basket as it falls, knocking the rockets into the night and the stolen goods towards the ground, conveniently not losing anything in the blast-off. James also loses grip of his remaining bottle caps, crying about them. Honestly, I can't blame the guy. It's kind of sad. Seeing the falling treasures, Ash orders his team to catch as many as they can. Everything but the trophy is caught, Ash diving for it, just barely missing as it bounces off a spinner rack thread. 
The spider then shoots another string to grapple the treasure, pulling it safely to Jenny's grasp. The next day, Jenny assures the group that all the stolen goods were safely returned to their wealthy owners, and the status quo was maintained successfully. Brock grabs Jenny's hand and says to call upon the group again should they ever be needed. In fact, the woman should uh, probably give him her phone number too, just in case, and Misty pulls him away. Promising that their good deeds will not be forgotten, she wishes Ash and his friends luck on their journey, waving as they depart. In the woods, Team Rocket cries over the loss of their stolen treasures and bottle cap collection, having nothing to show for their efforts the last few days. Jessie then blames the failure on her two other companions, and insulted, the three begin physically fighting each other as the episode comes to a close. This was another pretty okay episode. It's another of what I've been calling Team Rocket roleplay episodes, where the main conflict is based on Team Rocket experimenting with some weird nonsense or job outside of Pikachu or just general Pokemon theft, like the hackers in the Porygon episode. Not the best description of these kinds of episodes, but you'll know the vibe I mean after watching enough of them. Spinarak's debut isn't the most fantastic of plots or presentations, with not many jokes all things considered, or at least good ones, but it's far from a miserable watch as well. So, do you think the next episode will be a little bit more enjoyable? Let's jump in! Episode 124, Snubble Snobbery Synopsis! A snubble belonging to a rich old lady seems to have it all. But despite that, she keeps trying to escape, leading our heroes to wonder if there's something deeper in all this. Making their way through a Palm Beach slash Hollywood parody, the Pokey crew marvel at the fantastic and gaudy mansions of the rich capitalist scum. While examining one home with an especially large yard, Brock asks half-jokingly if his friends think they'll let the group camp in the garden before some yelling behind the three draws their attention. Turning, they overhear some butlers asking each other if they found something yet, none of them having any luck. The group of servants then splits up to continue looking, the lead one saying that he'll comfort the madame. Ash wonders what they might be searching for, and the title screen gives it away. A short while later, Misty shows the group a tour map she found that will take them to all the homes the movie stars live in. What is it? It's a map that'll show us where all of the stars are. I know where the stars are, Misty. <laughs> no, movie stars. It shows where the houses of the movie stars are. Who wants to waste time looking at houses? Sounds boring to me. Oh, really, Brock? Well, lots of your favorite actresses live in those boring houses. Ah! So what are we waiting for? Come on! Wait up! <laughs> But before they can run too far, a Growlithe peels around the corner, yelping in pain. Ash leans down to try and calm the panicked dog and notices something clinging to its tail. The Growlithe then manages to shake its attacker off, running away as the trio sees a snubble with red bows on its ears sitting on the ground. Ash takes out his Pokedex for a quick rundown. Snubble, the fairy Pokemon. While it may appear gruff and grumpy, deep down Snubble is a kind and caring Pokemon. It must be kind and caring way deep down. One of the butlers from earlier approaches and, seeing the Pokemon, calls for his madame. An older, slightly chubby, fancy rich lady, Madam Much Money, yes, that's her actual name, excitedly runs up and asks if the trio are the ones who saved her Snubblekins. 
After her butler confirms this, she thanks the kids, saying that she's been ever so worried since her snubble ran away last night and picks up her Pokemon to snuggle with, but the dog seems to recoil at the affection. As a show of appreciation, she invites the Pokecrew to lunch at her mansion, revealed to be the one they were looking at earlier. What a coincidence! Except instead of a walkway, there's now a conveyor belt that runs up to her home, since it takes much too long to walk. However, on the standing ride to the door, Brock notices that Snubble doesn't seem to be too happy to be home, and wonders if there might be something going on behind the scenes. Inside, our heroes marvel at the fancy and giant house. Misty bets there's at least 50 rooms in the place. Much money having her butler Jeeves confirm that there's actually 87 rooms total, with more coming. Inviting the kids inside, the madam shows them Snubble's wing, which consists of a fancy bedroom, specifically for use on Saturday, a giant walk-in closet, state-of-the-art workout room, and a hot tub bubble bath spring thing. During the tour, Much Money explains that she tries to have everything Snubble needs indoors so it doesn't get sick from going outside. Ash and Misty are impressed at how much the woman spoils her pet, but Brock is needlessly rude-sounding when he's like, hmm, I don't know, suspicious behavior is at work here. A clock then chimes out, announcing Snubble Wubble's lunchtime, Much Money again extending her offer for some food. In the giant, dining room-like breakfast nook, a massive spread of food is presented to the group in Pokemon. While almost everyone seems to love the fancy and filling food, Snubble seems averse to eating anything, worrying her owner. She asks the chef to bring out something else, but the poor man says he's tried every recipe he knows with no luck. Brock then has an idea, pulling out some onigiri that the dub for some reason changes to popcorn balls. Make up your mind! Is it rice, popcorn, or jelly donuts? Which is it? Ash also says that Snubble will never eat them, as even he thinks they taste awful. Despite him visibly enjoying Brock's onigiri before this episode. Needlessly mean, Ash. Thankfully, Snubble eagerly takes and eats the popcorn ball, seeming to thoroughly enjoy it. Overjoyed to see her pet eating happily, Much Money declares that her home will now have the best popcorn balls money can buy. Misty also slowly begins to agree with Brock, wondering if maybe something about the high life is bothering Snubble. In the yard, Team Rocket spies on the homes of the rich. Jesse and Meowth angered at the class disparity. James didn't know because he was born with a silver spoon in his mouth. Yes, it's true. But we had to get rid of it right away to make room for my foot. That's not fair. Why is it always the rich who get to have all the money? All I know is the only kind of pool we had when I was growing up was a cesspool. For your information, growing up with everything can be terribly hard on a child. As a boy, I used to get so bored that the servants would have to take me fishing in our pool, which was so devastating, as you can probably imagine, because I never caught a thing. You've got some nerve fishing for sympathy. We'll smash it till every bone in your body knows what it's like to be broke. The evil trio then attempt to sneak into one of the homes, but encounter Snubble on their way. The Pokemon licks Meowth's face as the group stare confused. Before an alarm rings out, Butler's rushing to intercept the intruders. The Rockets attempt to flee, but Snubble, seeing Meowth's tail, jumps to bite it, latching onto the cat. Ash and Co. then arrive to block their escape as well, Misty taunting Jesse about being guests at the manor, because we're more important than you, he <laughs> 
Meowth runs around screaming, begging to get the Snubble off, Jesse angrily yelling at him and swinging Snubble around at everyone, the dog eventually flying off into the air, being skillfully caught by her unmoving owner. James tosses out Weezing, smogging up the area and allowing them to escape. Back inside, Brock finally confronts Much Money, pointing out that Snubble seems pretty anxious and unhappy. The one percenter explains that it's probably just pre-wedding jitters, as Snubble is set to be married off to another rich Snubble, Winthrop Snubblefeller, in a poorly thought out way to fix some perceived loneliness with the Pokemon. <laughs> Misty and Ash finally realize that Snubble is actually just constantly trying to escape the wedding, and is probably also feeling overwhelmed by all the smothering and pampering. Much Money invites the three to the wedding, and they accept, just to try and break it up before it's too late. Across town, Meowth is being bandaged up by James, and begs to leave before things somehow get more embarrassing. But the other two insist on proceeding with Operation Steel Snubble, insinuating that they're going to use Meowth as bait. In a garden villa sort of thing, Ash's group spies on the two rich ladies, who are unaware that the female Snubble is extremely unhappy with the wedding idea. Brock eventually gets fed up, demanding that much money takes her Snubble's feelings into account for once. The madame tries to defend the marriage with her ignorance, but Brock pushes, saying that Snubble just wants room to be herself, and can't do so with all the pampering and arranged weddings. But... Just as things start to get heated, Team Rocket appears on the chandelier. Just what do you think you're doing? Prepare for Snubble Trouble. Make it double trouble, Snubble. Meowth is lowered down on a fishing line while everyone just stands around and lets this happen again. Snubble then worms her way out of her owner's grasp, crunching onto Meowth's tail as he's fished back up. Ash prepares to send out a Pokemon, but the Rockets toss ankle cuffs at the kids, locking their legs together. But not their arms, so I don't know why he still didn't try sending something out. Or just using Pikachu, who was completely untouched. Like, Pikachu isn't even targeted, they're completely unbound and free to do whatever they want. One jump cut later, the entire town's police are looking for the Rockets, who are hiding out in the shed, still on the estate. Things start to get quickly heated. I can't believe we're trapped in this crummy shed. Oh, I hope you're happy. Stuck on an estate surrounded by servants and enemies. Actually, I am happy because it reminds me of my youth. Oh, this is no time for nostalgia. Meowth, where did you park our getaway balloon? Most of these rich people are so full of hot air, I thought this would be a good place to have the balloon refilled. I'll see if it's ready. The balloon wasn't empty, but your head obviously was. I've had about enough of your airbrained schemes. Not exactly the sharpest tool in the shed, are you, Meowth? However, Snubble jumps up to Meowth's defense. Jessie wonders if she actually likes Meowth, but it's shown that she just wants his tail as a chew toy, biting onto it again. This causes Meowth to scream and attract the twerps, their location fully given away when he runs out the door in front of them. Jessie and James send out Tarbok and Weezing, whose attacks incapacitate the private police force. Ash is somehow untouched by the smog, and sends out Heracross, who gets distracted trying to suck pollen or nectar or something from a tulip. Finally getting a hold on his Pokemon, Ash has the bug attack, landing solid hits on both opponents, Arbok crushing Meowth and allowing Snubble to walk out free, where it then bites Arbok's tail. 
Madame Muchmoney begins panicking, worrying that Snubble is going to get hurt and demanding she stop. However, Brock jumps beside the rich woman, cheering Snubble on and telling the woman to give it a shot herself. Taking Brock's advice, Much Money commands Snubble to use Tackle, the Pokemon doing so, and landing a strong hit against Arbok. When the dog is hit with a Tackle back, it quickly jumps up and uses Scary Face before biting the snake's tail again. James decides to take over the fight, sending out Victory Bell, but as always, he's bored by it. Snubble wastes no time, landing a series of vicious attacks on the plant. Much money watching in happy awe, unaware her Pokemon had such energy. The owner of the gloom, Snubble, is unamused by the barbarity of it all, but her opinion doesn't matter. James is flung back into the rest of his team, collapsing them into a pile. The recovered police then charge at the evil trio, but seeing their balloon now arriving, they rush to jump inside. Even though their plan was probably to escape, a headbutt from Heracross causes them to fly off, still escaping. They just needed a reason to do a blast off, I guess. Our heroes and much money run over to the victorious Snubble, congratulating it and saying how proud they are. The scene then fades, the Pokey crew preparing to leave. Much money is optimistic that Snubble won't be unhappy anymore, as she's called off the wedding and vows to let her Pokemon lead a more normal, less protected life. Jeeves shows his madame the new outdoor exercise yard that was built in a matter of hours, the rich woman letting her Pokemon down to play in it freely and as long as she wants. Our heroes decide that they better start heading out, bidding the woman farewell as she wishes them luck, thanking them as well. However, Snubble finds a vine that reminds her of Meowth's tail, missing her favorite chew toy, and hearing Much Money's over-extravagant habits creeping in again, the dog decides to sneak out, rushing off into the sunset. This is a mildly entertaining episode. It's a silly little detour on the long in-between of New Bark and the first gym. My main issue with it is that it introduces another running joke. One or two jokes are fine, but now we have, um, Brock's woman obsession, Victory Bell eating James, Jigglypuff sometimes, and now Snubble biting Meowth's tail out of nowhere. And I'm sure there are others I'm not remembering right now, it's, it's just kind of a lot. It's also kind of interesting that I have to say this, but there are much more entertaining rich people characters in this show too, and much money does not compare well to them. Heck, James's family already is a tough act to follow, or that guy that dropped his kid out of a helicopter. Having a woman who's just like, I love my doggy woggy coon, ooh, just doesn't hit as well. Also, I just realized that the plot is basically just James's backstory, but as a dog. Suffocated with the high life, arranged marriage, and escaping to be free and wild. Snubble is just James. Anyway, I digress. Okay episode, not really offensive or bad, but not really fantastic either. Memorable, though. What is up, everybody? It's me again. Hi, it's Ryan. Welcome welcome back. Um, I uh, remember to follow the socials. We got at Wannavary on Twitter. We got this podcast itself. You can follow that. That'd be pretty heckin' rad. Wow. You did, you did it. That's so cool of you. Thanks, man. Wow. And what's that? Oh my gosh, you're, you're, tell, you're telling other people about it? That's so cool of you. You're just like the raddest person. 
That sounded so sarcastic. I'm sorry. I didn't mean for it to sound so sarcastic. You're cool. I love you. What? Anyway, have a great morning, day, evening, night, outside of space-time, whatever. Just have a good one. Bye.